So, Jillian French, <laughs> good afternoon, good morning. You're in Ireland, so I guess it's good afternoon. Rick, it's good morning because you just woke up at seven o'clock. I'm kind of <laughs> at nine-ish. I don't know what time, 10 o'clock, something like that. So, welcome to the Blind Ambition Podcast. And to our delight, you have Jillian French, who is a very experienced chief people officer, human resource executive, and I know everybody always wants to know like what goes on behind the scenes, everything from getting a job to why you don't get feedback to are there more layoffs coming? And so Jillian is kind enough to be our Sherpa and guide us through, hey, here's what's really happening. So welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. My pleasure. So let's just jump into it. Yeah. Here in the States, and I imagine it's very similar in Europe. We went from just like a crazy hot job market to now layoffs, downsizings, and kind of fear. I mean, what what are you seeing as an HR professional? Do you see in your your cohorts what what's what do you think? Is this going to keep going on, or this is a short term event? Yeah, no, I, I do think it's going to continue. Um, we're keeping a very close eye on, on the states. Obviously, we're, I'm based out of Ireland. Um, we start to see a little bit um, in Ireland, but not to the scale that I'm seeing in the states. Um, it's really scary numbers over there. Um, I think it is going to continue, but I think that we need to think differently about how we handle this crisis. I think people have been through a lot, and I think people are going to be scared. And I think some leadership teams may think this is a great opportunity now to get everybody back into the office, maybe create this atmosphere of fear, get everybody back in, get things back to the way they used to be, you know. But I think any leadership team or organization that's thinking in that um, way has probably missed the context. I think this is a real opportunity for organizations to do the right thing and try and go back to how we behaved um, when the pandemic started. When the pandemic started, there was a great sense of, you know, collective community, looking out for each other and figuring out ways how to preserve jobs and look out for each other during the start of um, COVID-19. And I think we need to apply those same principles um, in this crisis or this so-called recession that is, is about to start. Um, I think some companies will jump the gun and say, let's lay off people. Let's uh, do the normal things that we do, cut, you know, the bottom 10%. But I really think people are looking on and observing. And I think organizations will do serious damage to the reputation and their existing culture if they do this. I think there are lots of different things that we could do, like we did um, during COVID-19, as in adjust people's salaries maybe adjust people's days. I talk to lots of people who are looking for two and three days and can't get it currently in their organizations. Like that's a great opportunity to sort of work with the people in your organization, give them what they need, the flexibility, but still be able to maintain the organizational knowledge um, and maintain the morale within the organization and their existing culture. So I think we need, organizations need to think differently and not just go for the nuclear button, which is lay everyone off, create this sense of fear and think that that's just going to cut at this time around because I don't think it is going to cut it for people and employees. So, wow, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. One of the things, Rick, <laughs> I don't know if you caught Sorry. this too, kind of that, you know, uh, nod to Elon Musk about you know him saying it's a super bad economy mm -hmm. and then for people to get back into the office or go mm -hmm. pretend to work somewhere else I'm kind of paraphrasing yeah. 
So do you think that's one of the elements that might happen where some of these companies might say, use the excuse of a tough economy of maybe a recession or stagflation say, you know what, we were letting everybody work at home hybrid, but you know what, serious business now, we can't mess around, everybody get back in the office. Rick, do you think, Mm -hmm. Jillian, do you think that that could really happen where all of a sudden it just switches back? I think some short-sighted um, leaders will demand it. I think sort of transactional authoritarian um, style organizations and leaders will demand and think that this is a great opportunity now to say, ha <laughs> you know, back into the office, we have you. Um, but I think the sensible organizations, again, will work with their people and show their true colors. If you're a people-centric organization, you'll work with your people to try and come up with something that works for the organization. And again, I'm not sort of going around with rose tinted glasses. The organizations need to make a profit. They need to, you know, that that's the purpose of a business is to make a profit at the end of the day. But the way you do that is by working with your people. Organizations are made up of people and you have to have your people on side. And I don't think, you know, not giving people a choice in the workplace in this day and age, um, it, it's it's quite it's quite old fashioned and quite traditional style leadership, in my opinion. And I think people are way too educated um, to accept those type of, of terms now. Like we have a really educated workforce and um, they've just come out of a pandemic where they've reassessed their lives. They're a lot more conscious and I don't think they will accept that type of um, demands. And those that maybe do are probably not the ones that you want sticking around anyway. It'll be the, the really talented people probably that, that leave, you know. So, so Jillian, you're the expert in residence. Yeah. Focused on employee experience at WorkVivo. You know, you've been a chief people officer um, for more than a decade now. Can, can you walk us through the logic between why a company would either do a reduction in force or a layoff versus a hiring freeze versus even rescinding job offers. You know, is one a signal of more negative situations happening at the company than the other? Uh, Why would a company pick, you know, one strategy over another? Well, I think some organizations um, have been thriving over the, the, the past couple of years. Definitely, there's a lot of technology businesses in Ireland, you know, that are thriving and they've, you know, announced jobs, you know, that they're hiring 200 jobs and it's out there and people are aware of it. Um, so, you know, some organizations want to save face. So they try and do these things to externally, you know, maintain um, their, their, their reputation and what they've gone out and said. But I think, again, doing the right thing by your people is how organizations should think, you know, they shouldn't think short term, they should think long term. What is the best thing for the organization and the people within it long term? And sometimes, yes, just putting on and speaking to the employees, having an all hands taking everyone on saying look you're going to hear we're not going to be going after those 200 jobs we announced but we just think we want to be prudent at this point you know there's nothing major to to concern yourself with but you know the 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 context of the external environment has changed and and we're not going to hire anymore 
Um, and I think that's a signal to say we want to maintain the employees that we have. We want to look after you and we're going to put a hiring freeze in place. I am on the fence about if you've cut out a job offer to someone and they've handed in their notice. You know, my I, I just find that very difficult to not. That's follow a, right. That, that sounds cool. Yeah, I, I just I, I, I really a CPO, I would. I, I just couldn't really sleep at right? night. If Isn't that, that unconscionable? Was, yeah, you know, I just, it, And I get, you know, employee at will, but come on. I mean, that's yeah. just like the, just yeah. the coldest thing, isn't it? Yeah, someone's left their job. They said, you know, they've had a level of service. So you've not only let them down on, you know, they could have been maybe laid off in a place that they had five years service and got some sort of a package. But yeah. now you've just completely left them in limbo where they've left their role. They don't have another one. You know, their circumstances... And I really think that that's the key. You have to have humanity. You can't, every single person is different. And I've always with HR, like one size does not fit all. But for me, you know, going back on your word and offering people jobs and those things get out because you've had hiring managers in with you. They've gone through the process. They know what you've done. And that will filter down to other people in the business. And people don't like that, of course, because it's not the right thing to do. So really setting a tone that you don't follow through on your word or you don't follow through on what you've done. So I definitely would not recommend, um, you know, putting a job offer out to someone, having them accept and then say, sorry, we're not taking on. I mean, it's just... And especially for some large organizations where the person's salary or would mean very, very little. It's not going to be a game changer to the business, um, but it certainly is a game changer to that person's life and to the impact it will have around the business when people find out about it. I think a hiring freeze can be sensible till you just say we're just putting a hiring freeze in place and we'll revisit it every sort of six to eight weeks to see how we're doing internally and if we're struggling. I think salary adjustments, asking people to maybe, you know, take a 10% reduction in their salary at different levels in the business, you know, senior executives taking maybe 20%, more junior people, 5%. And that way we can make sure, you know, as we're, we're the baby of the company is in trouble and you're trying to just maintain costs. I've seen employees being very happy with that because, you know, they're holding on to their employment and their service and also their colleagues are but they're all in it together and it's fair because it's tiered based on salary. So I think they're great ways of doing it. But the best is all hands every week, keep the people informed, ask the employees, you know, is there anything else they can do? Um, working with suppliers, asking for different payment terms to maybe get over periods of times where cash might be tight. There's so many things and so many things that employees come up with. You know, we're doing this process, but if we did it this way, we could save more money. Everyone gets involved and it's collective and everybody wants the same outcome, which is the business to be sustainable and to keep the jobs. So it's a much better way of doing business then and and look i can i can totally empathize when you have executives in in a boardroom they've promised a number to shareholders and they're being held accountable to that i can totally see where the pressure comes from but i think this time around we need to think differently i think this time it has to be different it can't be just the same time uh, you know the same old method over and over again let's just chop the bottom 20 percent, or let's just chop the last you know sort of 15 percent that came in in the last six months um it's it's old-fashioned it's outdated and it will come back to bite you when the market takes off again because you've lost all that out of the business you know and you have to start again 
I like where you're going with this. And Rick, I've been curious, like how do you think the people in blind would feel about if you know their their uh, managers would say, hey, we don't want to let people go, but we're going to ask maybe a 5%, 10%, whatever the cut may be, but this way we could keep more people. Or I'm not sure if you, you mentioned this exactly or uh, I'm not positioning it the right way, but then also maybe like a four-day week but you don't get paid, you know what I mean? That extra yeah. day. So, you know, you're taking a cut, but maybe you have, you just work four days. So is that what you kind of mean by exactly. just, just trying I've to think this. outside the box yeah. instead of just saying, okay, old school, everyone gets fired. Yeah. Well, I, like we had it before in when the organizations I work when COVID hit and, um, you know, some people were like, you know, at home with their children. They're like, Actually, I'd love a three day week. And I don't mind because I have the kids here and at least then I can do some homework with them and I can help them or coming into the summer months. Some parents need more time off with their kids. So can I do a four, four day a week for like, you know, June, July, August and, you know, not get paid mm. for it. Like there's so many things Are people getting close to retirement might say, well, I want to start seeing what it's like. So I'll just take three days. My pension's OK. And people are willing to do that for the wider good. Once they're asked and they're involved in the decision, um, it's amazing. And, and, and I've seen it and I've been through it where it's actually worked um, perfectly. And, and then when the business turned around and, and trading, you know, commenced, everything went back to normal. And then some people did ask, could they stay on two days and three days? And, and we looked at that as well for the, the different roles. Did they work? And was that possible? Rick, how do you think that people, you know, generally, on, on blind, because it was a little different. Do you think they would rebel against that? Or they may just say, you know what, I get this is what it's like, and I, I'll, I'll do my part. So it's tricky, because the conversations I've seen on blind, folks are very skeptical of that temporary nature of any pay pause or, you know, a, a pay cut. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, this is a way for the company to kind of use this as an excuse and just reduce everyone's salary by five, 10%, right? There's this, there's this feeling, especially in the tech industry, that for engineers and other technologists, uh, their compensation has gotten quite high. And so they're very defensive to any semblance of, you know, a, a stealth pay cut, right? That they're just going to, quote unquote, accidentally keep for the foreseeable future. Right, right. Once you do it, it's like, it's like here in the States, you probably have this in Ireland too, Jillian. When you put in like a toll on a bridge or a tunnel, right. they never take it away. Like never, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And when yeah. you have like state taxes and things like that, it's like they don't stop. It's like just mm -hmm. add more. So I can see what Rick is saying. Like once you do it, there's this built-in skepticism. Uh, once you're doing it, uh, are you going to repeal it or you know maybe right. even ask for a more cuts down the road? Yeah. Well, I think trust obviously comes into it and you have to have a trusting relationship and nonstop communication. I mean, in the case that I was involved, the company always did a weekly kind of all hands updated on all the numbers was very transparent and it was very obvious that the, the users were way down because it was in lockdown and it was actually you know, relied on people being on the road. And, and so therefore they were able to see the numbers. They knew they were down and we had milestones. So we, we told them we would read, look at it again in three months and see where we're at. And that if we got back to a certain figure that wasn't actually the budgeted figure, 
but it was a certain figure that was palatable for kind of the shareholders, the board. And we got to that, then everybody's. And in and truth, it lasted five months and then it was back to normal. And then there was a normal salary review that we would have annually. So it's being consistent, I think, and communicating regularly and being very transparent with the numbers to show people to not just doing it um, to make more money for you know um right. to, to keep the profits and take them away from you know the, the employees but i think you have to have trust you have to communicate and you have to be transparent with you know and set milestones for people to show them look when we get to this um we'll we'll address it and and again keep you completely posted on, on where we are with it and actually we did it in a two-phase approach. We reinstated the employees first and then the executives were the last to get instated, you know, because it still wasn't where it needed to be, but we're well aware that it was tough for people um, on the lower salary range, you know, living and lockdown and stuff like that. It was difficult for them because they were at home and, you know, so, and it worked well. But I've, I, you know, I always think differently about HR processes, policies and procedures. And I always go to it from, from a human angle. And I, I, you know, when we talked about sort of HR processes where they can be just so admin heavy and they can just, people just find them so frustrating. Um, but I've always gone with one size doesn't fit all. When I started in HR, you, you just can't like what works for me as a 45 year old woman with three children. It's not going to work for a 26 year old woman coming into the business who's finished college and this is just her second job. And or for a guy coming in who's, you know, in his 30s and is due to get married, like all the policies and procedures, you cannot just have blanket and you have to work with teams and people, you know, to, to figure out what's going to work for them and be as bespoke as you possibly can to really get an effective um, structure within HR. And, and that's difficult and it's challenging, but it definitely drives the right culture uh, for a business to perform at its optimum level because people are having the best experience and it's, it works for them and what they need at their point in time in life. This raises a couple of questions. One with C- CEOs, you, you always hear that the rank and file, you know, mm. they're downsized, they take the hit. But very rarely, you know, did the C-suite take the hit. And I noticed during the pandemic, because I wrote about this a lot, is that they'll say, okay, yeah, we're going to, you know, take a hit on our base. But then the board of directors will give them more stock options and everything that more than compensates for it. Mm-hmm. And you, you left like, that's even worse because you're pretending that like you're being magnanimous. Right but you're really gaming the system. And the other part I was curious, Rick, is what, what, what you think about this too. And I don't want everybody on blind to get mad at me, but I, I, I guess I'm the one to bring this up. I've been better me than you, because like you're there. Uh, I wonder too, where, because tech was so hot, so blazing hot, like every other day, you'd see a new unicorns, billion dollar capitalization, venture capital is flowing into everything. It just seemed, crazy and maybe the salaries were artificially you know inflated but maybe the salaries and total comp will start coming down because we're going to go to some new normal i mean is that rick do you think that's possible do you think both you know julie like the ceos will really eventually do the right thing and then do you think for the tech folks this is a day of reckoning 
Lego or do you want to go Rick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, so it's really interesting. They're among technologists, they're, you know, they're, they're smart. They realize, wow, like a lot of the compensation is quite high and it's it's been increasing, right? Previously, it was just Google, the Amazon, the Microsoft, the big tech companies that could offer um, such stunning packages. And, and over time, you started seeing uh, mid-sized startups, uh, even entirely new industries like cryptocurrency and Web3 uh, offering such high salaries. And there's this undercurrent of, well, it's great. We, we have a skill that's in demand. This is the job market working at its you know fullest, how it's supposed to work. Uh, but some of them deep down, they realize, well, it, it's unsustainable, right? Like surely it, it can't keep rising. And so there's a self-awareness there. So there is uh, one. So it's not as if, you know, they just feel, hey, we're awesome. It's always going to be this way. So there is kind of grounded in reality then. Right. Okay. And, and, and you actually see that in kind of the decisions that uh, the employment decisions that some of these technologists are making where, uh, you know, there, there's always been kind of like, I, I call it mercenaries, right? People that job hop and just only search for the highest total compensation package out there. Uh, but what we're seeing people really focus on, well, you know, my pay is good or, or it's quite high already. Like what's optimizing just a few more thousands of dollars? Uh, I'm going to look for more quality of life, right? What Jillian was saying about... Uh, will I have spent, will, will I have time to spend time with my kids, right? Is the work challenging or intellectually stimulating? Uh, you know, does, do I like my manager? Something simple as yeah, that, absolutely. right? Manager's huge. Manager is huge. Even if your salary is amazing and you, you don't get on with your manager, it's a, it's a game changer. All right. Can we ask, okay, behind the curtain, some behind the <laughs> curtain I? questions. <laughs> yeah could I just say though on that yes. one as well on the, the salaries and the sustainability yes. I think a good solution would be a four-day week in the sense that move everyone to a four-day week there's loads of studies going on in the UK Ireland now on four days a week and any sort of piece of research you read is that productivity generally stays the same and in some cases it goes up and people are much happier and in that way, I think you could actually change the four day week, leave salaries as they are for like a year or 18 months, which would help, you know, kind of level things out and sustainably for people, for society. I think it would be a really positive thing for everybody, for the workplace, for society in general, and then for just kind of leveling out salaries for a year or two, because you wouldn't change anyone's salary, but you don't necessarily need to change it the following year. You could leave it a little bit longer because they're getting four days for the same salary. So I think that could help as well. Um, but I think in general, it's 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 the way a lot of businesses are going. And I'd say in five to six years, majority of businesses will be on four days a week. So if you're not thinking about it now, you're probably not being progressive enough. Wow, five to six years. That that's a bold claim. <laughs> that's quite quick. I mean, it's moving quick. Like there's loads of studies in the UK and Ireland. I think sometimes the miss um people 
think, you know, it's Friday. Everyone has to be off on a Friday for a four sure. day week, you know, and the, like I've had loads of people saying that to me, but hey, what would you need things open on a Friday? And I'm like, of course, everybody has different requirements. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just a Friday. It's a four day week and you figure out how you're going to work that four day week. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. Um, but yeah, I personally think I agree with you. People have changed their, you know, they want good managers. They want an organization that is a good brand and is doing good things and is sociably responsible. Um, and it's not all about money for, uh, you know, a vast majority of people now and the younger generations. I've seen a big shift in the next generation coming through of it not being about money or titles, being more about a good work life balance and sustainability and what what are what is the company doing about the environment and all of these big issues. Sorry. I have Gen Z kids. You're so mm -hmm. right. It's so yeah. right. They, they yeah. want jobs that are meaningful. They have purpose, mm -hmm. fulfillment, you know, that, that they want to align themselves with companies that have a social mission. It's a really big change then compared to when you and I went into the workforce where mm -hmm. we didn't even talk about that. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. And now that's really front and center. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that, you know, people are always concerned about a word about like, why is it that, and this is not you, so I'm not making you like, yeah. the, you know, the reason for HR. It's like, why do you have these job descriptions with just so many ass that's almost impossible to meet? What's the real deal with the applicant tracking systems? Are they evil robots? Or it's just, you know, it's just a way to manage just the flow of so many, you know, resumes that are coming in. Um, you know, why are interviews so long where you have to go five, six, seven, ten interviews? You know, some of these things that I'm sure you hear all the time, mm -hmm. why do they get ghosted, no feedback, oh, no constructive criticism? Awful. Like, why is that? So people are left when they job search. If you could check out LinkedIn at times, you'll see there's so much frustration and, and anxiety and that it hurts your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And it, can, yeah. you, can you share just like what it's, goes it's, on behind the scenes? It's absolutely awful. And mm -hmm. um, when I worked in Cartroller, and particularly during the recession, uh, we used to ring every single person after the interview and give them really candid feedback because it was a recession. They really wanted to know. And, and they were demanding it of us as well, which I felt was a really good thing. And we would spend a good bit of time on them and giving them advice in the next interview you go to. Yes. And, this. and, you know, a lot of people still we didn't even hire they still stayed in touch with us and we're happy about the business you know as it grew and you know would send us the odd note to say good delighted to see you're doing well um but people are afraid hr are afraid to give too much feedback they're afraid to say anything in case that they will get sued or that they say something that something a person doesn't like and then they give them or they start challenging them and they're like opening a pandora's box then you know around oh well, the person might say i didn't say that or that's not your you know and so therefore they use all the paperwork then and all the interviews to back up that they do these competency frameworks they have these multi-view interviews so that it's a collective decision and not an own uh, like just one person's decision so it's it's about fear it's fear that if they make the decision or if they've done something incorrectly the company may get sued from a person if they don't believe that they followed proper process and um, they then as the organizations get bigger they think that the best thing to do is put all these policies and procedures and paperwork around people so that they nearly don't have to think they're, they're they just stay in these boxes 
And all that really happens then is people don't feel human. They feel they have can't perform outside the box. They can't use any of the sense that they've been reared with or the, any sense, you know, any of the logic like they go home and run their own homes and they're well able to do lots of things. Um, but when the organization gets bigger, we think that, you know, we can't let people just use their own judgment. We can't let them, you know, my God, can you imagine letting someone use their own judgment? Like, a 45 year old woman no put these forms around her and that will help us to make sure the business is you know safe but all that happens is that people become disillusioned become worn out with the administration of everything and they then start questioning good god why did i go into this i went into hr because i love people and i love meeting people and now i feel the whole essence of why i went into it is gone i'm an administrator you know mm -hmm. um Wow. Yeah. I love, I, I got to tell you, I commend you. And I love the fact that you're just being so transparent and open mm -hmm. because it's hard to do that nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you always mm -hmm. risk, you know, people giving you grief. So I, I've always felt, was it a conspiracy <laughs> <not>. theory? <laughs> yeah. You know, a conspiracy theory, like, okay, why are you not getting it? And I always thought of the reasons you mentioned, but it's so glad mm -hmm. to hear because mm -hmm. it, it, it does add up. You know, mm -hmm. in today's legit, litigious society, and everyone's afraid to be called a racist or sexist or ageist, what mm -hmm. have you, it's easier just not to say anything. And that just gums up the whole works. See, I was reared, as I said, I am 45. So I was reared, I worked in local shops when I was younger, I went into the hotel industry. So you always had to meet people at the front desk and take problems on face on, they were right in front of you. And then when I got into technology, um, you know, at an early stage, I ran a call center and went into HR. I always walked the floors, met people, talked to people like, you know, and on the phones in the call center, I was like, oh, they're on the phones. They're not actually in front of you. But I would always speak to people to gauge how they were. But some generations are not used to having that amount of interaction. And it's much easier to email or to text or yes. but those these type of situations where people are going for jobs and they're much more they're bigger scenarios you need to talk to people face to face you need to give them more comprehensive feedback but i don't know that we're losing that art of human you know dealing with humans the service industry or just not being afraid to have a phone conversation or a face-to-face -face conversation and difficult conversation with people um, and maybe it's the cancel culture, maybe it's lots of different things, you know, being, I don't know what the term is on LinkedIn or Twitter when they troll you, troll you actually, yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I won't get trolled after this, but you know, it's, you know, people are just afraid, they're afraid to tackle these things and, and tell people and talk to people, and there's nothing in it, you know, it's just human to human, but it is, a, it's, it's a skill set in itself. Um, it makes such a difference, Jillian. I can tell you, when I first started recruiting, like 25 years ago, let's mm -hmm. say I was representing Rick to go to, you know, company ABC, and you were the HR person, you would share with me, hey, Jack, here's what mm -hmm. Rick should be prepared for. Here's the attitude of Sally, who's the hiring manager. You know, Sally likes, you know, soccer, and this is her favorite team, and what have you. And I would be armed with all that information so I could kind of share that with Rick. Then he goes on the interview. And then afterwards, you come back, give the feedback. Rick was really good at X, Y, and Z, but he probably needs a little help on, you know, A, B, and C. And then I could share like, oh, hey, Rick, you went really well. This is what they like, but here's what we have to do for the next time. And then you'd even give me information on, the, on George, who you're meeting next. 
So then it flowed and it made it so much easier because you get the feedback, you get the constructive criticism. So it helps people, you know, land these jobs. And even if they don't get it, they walk away feeling good. Like, hey, you know what? I got white glove service there. You know, someone else got it. I get it. But wow, they really took the time to try to represent me and get me there. And now that doesn't happen. So it just leads to bad feelings, frustration. And I think That's it hurts awful. the reputations of these companies because then, you know, they feel like this company stinks. They just blew me off. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's awful. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, and it, particularly when it's times of recession or difficult times, like it's really important for people. They've got families and, you know, they've taken the time as well to fill out their CV go through, take an hour out of their time. And it's just a respectful thing to do, like out of respect for them and, you know, the organization itself to have a good reputation. They should treat people um, as they would like to be treated themselves. Is this one of the reasons why there's such burnout within the HR community lately? Because I've written about it. That's how I got to know mm. you. Yeah, you know, yeah. About writing yeah, about yeah. it, but I'm, I'm mm. seeing this pop up more and more. And I wonder with more, with like today, I think I mentioned, you know, Coinbase, 18%, what is it, 18% Rick of the employees, so, which is, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's going to get worse. So I imagine for HR, that's not fun when you're just laying off people, when you hire people, it's fun, but when you're laying right. off people, it's horrible. So like, what, what do you think is going to happen with HR? Do you think people just leave the field or they're just burnt out or how, how's that going to play out? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we constantly talk about all these dips and peaks and troughs and at the core of everything is HR. I mean, if this turns out to be one of the deepest and darkest recessions we've had in 38 years, I, I think for some of the, the, the articles I'm reading, who the HR functions are going to be under huge pressure. And you can only imagine after coming out of COVID and lockdowns to then have to be sitting in front of you know and then this is a the whole thing with zoom as well it's great and when people are out of the office but my god i've done it both ways i've had to sit in front of people and tell them that i'm making you know they're being made redundant and i had to do it over zoom when they were just the government wouldn't allow you know you out of the office like you had to do it i certainly did not want to do it and it really did not sit well with me but there was no other option you weren't allowed out of the house or to travel um so it's it's, it's really tough on people and to carry that and imagine they have to go and basically figure out all the legalities, set up all the administration that's required with it and then sit in front of people person after person all day long. Um, of course, you can see that, right? That's really awful, yeah. right? Yeah. That just yeah. so awful. Yeah. And most people who go into HR, the really good ones that I know, they love people. They like, you know, enjoy people's company. They want to see people get on and they have a genuine interest in team dynamics and how people get on and getting people the best out of people. So doing that over long periods of time, really, it, it hits them. And I do coaching as well. Um, and I have found over the past sort of 14 to 15 months, my coaching sessions used to be hey, I want this role and what do I need to do? And, you know, it's sort of tasks and goals. Mm -hmm. Now it's, I'm rock bottom. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what oh. is next for me. Like I'm rock bottom. And that is consistent with my coaching community as well, where people are completely and utterly rock bottom. This is a good segue too. So like mm -hmm. for Rick and the people on blind, what would you say if people are worried about losing their jobs what can they do like to make themselves feel 
you know, so they're irreplaceable or if they do lose a job, it's like, what should they do right away to get up and running? Yeah, I think the most important thing is not, I have worked for years and years and been involved in, you know, letting people go for various different reasons. I've been through recessions, I've turned downs and, and in Ireland, you know, employment was uh, quite difficult in the early years as well for people. But I have always seen people find their way. I've always seen them get roles. I've always seen it being okay. First of all, I think out of even COVID, there was so many opportunities in different sectors, different industries. I mean, if you were in hand sanitizer or mask making during COVID, I mean, you were set up, but who would have predicted that? So out right. of this too, there will be new companies that will be formed. There'll be a new way of working. There's always out of a crisis, something emerges and somebody does very well and some organizations do very well out of crises. So keeping an eye on, the external context what is happening how can I apply my skills to that because you always will find that there's lots of transferable skills I mean I started in hotels that was the first how I came you know out of college and into hotels then I went into technology I didn't have a clue about what PP, PPC was SEO I didn't know any technical terms but I did know relationships and business and how you know I ran my own departments and functions within the hotel so I understood how business worked and I could build relationships I had lots of different transferable skills and I wasn't afraid to go back to go forward it was called like back to the future so go don't be afraid to maybe take a small dip of 20 or 30,000 or whatever you can manage for your family to maybe rescale and do something different and again when something feels like oh good god this is a nightmare actually what can emerge and again I've reflected on my career where things have happened and I'm like oh my god actually was a great thing that happened to me because I decided to look at what I was doing and what I didn't like and then sort of put out what I really wanted to do and pivot a little bit and get something that you really enjoy doing maybe you're in a career that you're actually not that happy with so this is a great opportunity for you to consider maybe doing something completely different and then sometimes, you know, people get payouts and they might go back to college and do a short course. And, you know, so don't be afraid. There's lots of opportunity. And then just internally, I think always, always in work, be available, be helpful and work with the business and ask, do they need your support on anything? Or if you see any ideas where the company could save money, putting them forward, you know, to help the, the wider, you know, employee community and the leadership team um, and trying to navigate their way around this and be seen to be helpful as everybody should, you know, and wanting the company to survive and be successful. You have a great attitude. That's a very positive way of looking at it. And I imagine, and, and I think, I think blind is a good example that I'd imagine during this tough time, there'd probably be more people signing up to blind and, and because they just want to know what the heck is going on and having those mm -hmm. conversations. So you're right. So I think job seekers have to kind of figure, okay, you know, like, as you pointed out, Julie, they're going to be winners and losers and find out like, which are the ones that might actually thrive during these times and say, Hmm, let me take a look at, you know, and forget about big brand names or whatever, just find like, Hey, who like, you know, what niche, what sector is going to do well. And let me try to see if I could kind of segue into that area. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I was in hotels, then I went into technology and I did sort of director of operations. Then I moved into HR, loved it, went back to college, you know, did my master's, totally retrained. Now I'm, um, you know, resident and expert in work vivo, doing something again, very, very different. 
And I've no doubt, like, you know, I'm 45, but, you know, I'd love to be, go back to college and do psychology. Um, so that's like nothing. I'm never finished. I'm always evolving and always sort of just looking at what type of career suits me for the stage of life that I'm at and what's interesting me. And so I'm never done. Media can tap into that. You know, you have the HR experience, you have the psychology. Can you walk us through the psychology of how a company decides who to make redundant in a layoff or reduction in force? Is it performance based? Is it first in, first out? You know, do they look to get rid of the expensive folks or the folks that have been around the longest? Well, I think every organization takes its own strategy. So in some organizations, yes, it would be a blanket if the company isn't doing well at all. They probably just say, right, the last in sort of first out hiring freeze, maybe salary cuts, like they'll have a multitude of strategies that they're looking at, but they might just take a very brash view and say last in first out. And in a way that's tough, but at the same time, they are probably trying to preserve their longer serving employees and they have loyalty to them. And, you know, so they're probably, their thinking could be along those lines and obviously maintaining the knowledge that's within the business. Then some organizations, depending on what part of their business is being affected, like some may take the, the, the view that, you know, there's no sales, so we'll, we'll tackle sales first and, you know, go after or maybe, you know, something happening with Germany. So any of our employees that are based and, and this channel isn't working for us, and they might take a view of the business strategy and what's not, not working within that and take that view that we need to start with sales and then we'll work on what we need to maintain account management because we're not losing any of our existing accounts. And so they'll come at it from different angles and each business will be different different but i think um last in first out was just still as in i would probably try and come at it at a different angle and um, most businesses probably take that strategy as their first port of call last in first out and then if that's not deep enough then they'll start looking at it in the sense of what components of their strategy are being affected and go with it at that 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 way you know um but I mean, it's never easy for the leadership team either. And, and it does create a lot of stress on the wider leadership team and any CEO as well that's running an organization where they have to do mass layoffs, you know. Um, so I don't ever take it lightly. It's, it's always a very difficult job, particularly for obviously the HR team, but for the wider leadership team and the CEO particularly, it's, um, it's tough, tough decisions. Yeah, where, where do these discussions come from? Do they come from the CEO or the, the CFO or does it come from the board to say, hey, you know, we, we have to cut costs. We, we should consider the strategy or uh, what's the logic behind it? Again, it, it can differ. Sometimes the board have much more control than the executive team, but generally it's the executive team at probably one of their monthly meetings or, you know, the CFO and the CEO call a meeting and say the numbers are not where they are. I mean, most executive teams are looking at their numbers night and day and are having either weekly, monthly check-ins on where they, they need to be. And if they start seeing that they're falling off they need to come up with a plan because the board will be on the phone very very shortly <laughs> as soon as they get the board once they get the board report um you know when they have a, a sort of five days to digest the board report they'll want to know what are the action what are you doing what are the the steps that you're going to take 
you know, I was actually looking on, um, you've seen some of the airports, there's been some issues around Europe with the airports. And that is right. because they laid off a lot of people during COVID and then it takes six weeks to train up. So as I was saying to you earlier, I think sometimes we do these transactional decisions and we just don't realize then the sort of long-term effect that it will have. But I felt so sorry for the leadership team because they were actually being pulled up um, by the Irish government. They all had to go in. And I could just picture the scene where there's just chaos in the airports, Yikes. you know, right. and they're getting hammered through PR. And then you can imagine them in the office trying to put some PowerPoint together. They're all <laughs> shouting at each other, trying to put stuff in, to say what they're going to do. <laughs> All the while that the, the chaos is ensuing. And I sometimes, again, say, why do we do this to each other? And to, you know, like in the midst of the storm, the last thing you want to be doing is trying to pull together a PowerPoint to go in to get grilled. You know, you actually just want to deal with the issue at hand and try and sort it out and right. give the leaders the space to try and think, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, that's it. I've gone on enough. <laughs> no, this is, this is fantastic. Seriously. Right? I, mm. See, this is what's so cool about doing this podcast because it opens up the curtain to say, hey, this is what's going on because people don't know. And it's so frustrating. Like, they don't know. Like, by hearing the talk about, hey, sometimes HR, they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to get canceled. They don't want to get in trouble. And I think that's such a relief for people to hear. Go, oh, I thought it was just me. I thought maybe I was just really bad or did something wrong. And that's why they're not. And they just don't want to say anything. But like, so it opens, you know, you know, the, you know, sheds light on it. So this is really great stuff. Yeah, I think we have to, again, as leaders, figure out have we created cultures and our businesses to be fake, you know, this professional persona that everyone has to be a certain yeah. you know therefore we can't get the truth you know and again right. I coach people and then I look on LinkedIn and they're like oh my god working for this amazing company yes four days ago they were crying saying you know that they weren't happy and so there is this element of fakeness and Claude Silver I don't know if you know her from Fainer Media I had her on I was just chatting to her and she said the exact same that we have to break down this fake that everything's a okay and we can't say and we have to put this forward that you know we can't speak about these things um because at the end of the day we have to surface them in order to move forward and have healthy workplaces and avoid burnout for humans and in every level of profession because we talked about HR but I, I definitely think there's lots of other you know departments in the organization that are under huge pressure i mean the cfos now are obviously going to be under massive pressure as well right. over in the next few months um so so yeah be honest <laughs> you know it's so interesting you say that because uh as a gen xer you grew up you didn't especially where i grew up, I grew up in this place called canarsie brook it was a very lower socioeconomic area you didn't talk about your feelings about your mental health your emotional well-being you know, you get beat up if you kind of talk like that. It was, oh, no. You know, so I'm not exaggerating. It was just, yeah, it was, it was, you know, one of those kind of neighborhoods. And fast forward, I think I mentioned to you, Rick, and to Jillian as well, when someone came up, say, hey, here's what's going on. And I yeah. talked about my, my dog passed away, like right after this, I got to take my wife back for another, you know, eye exam because I'm worried about glaucoma. And I never, years ago, I never, ever, ever would have brought it up never it was just like it wasn't a thing to do but yeah but things have changed i feel more comfortable for sharing it because then i feel i'm sharing it not to enlist sympathy or anything like that but just to be fair so if they if like i come across maybe a little 
out of touch or I come across a little surly or whatever, I think I owe it to the person who, with whom I'm dealing with to say, hey, here's what's going on. So if you notice a bit of a change, don't think, um, you know what I mean? I changed right. my opinion about you or something like that. This is what I'm just going through right here, right now. And that never happened before. And I think that's one of the really cool outcomes from the pandemic. It just opened us up to be not fake and not hold it back, especially for men. Like, you know, we're, we're raised like you're not supposed to. Now it's changing. So it does open it up. So you don't have to have that fakeness, um, a different type of fakeness, but just, just withholding. So you can bring it up. And I think it makes for better, more deeper relationships. So it's. Uh, and that's what we're all searching for. Like all of yeah. us want better quality relationships in our lives. And, you know, as I said before, like I have three kids, I want to be going into somewhere that I feel I'm connecting yeah. with the people that I'm doing meaningful work and I'm having a bit of a laughter of the day and enjoying myself like life's too short, you know, um, but I don't know that everyone's getting that at the moment. And then I think you have to question yourself because, you know, you talked about ambition and I'm very ambitious. But if you're jumping jobs every 18 months to two years, you're not going to build long term quality relationships. You're just going to start to get to know people and then you're jumping on to the next place and the next place. And I think that, you know, if you really do want quality relationships to learn from people, we do need to stay in organizations once you're growing and developing a little bit longer than just the two year. There's definitely an 18 month, two year that I think we've gotten into the trap of thinking that's enough and then it's on to something new and something different. But you don't get fully connected to people and, you know, build really, really good quality relationships that you can be vulnerable with, have a really good deep belly laugh with and, you know, know that they have your back. Um, and then you probably end up searching, but not truly understanding what you're searching for. Oh, I, I think that's the right approach. And, and that is a really good note to end on, right? Like you've dedicated your career to, to putting the human back in HR. <laughs> that's it for the blind ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.